Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. Man, well, let's get to the word uh, tonight. John chapter 21. Let's start in verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. If you were with us on Sunday, Pastor Steve talked about the death and the resurrection of Christ and the story of Peter, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about that today. But Peter decides, you know what, I'm just going back to what I know and what I used to do. He says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, the other disciples, we're going with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. How many of you guys know there's sometimes nothing more depressing than going fishing and catching nothing? You can say it was great to be with your friends all you want, but you know when you get inside of your car or your truck, you are disappointed and you're never fishing again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I might be speaking from experience, but that's just me. They caught nothing. But when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, we're reading in the book of John, way to go John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals. If you like underlining your Bible, if you like highlighting your digital Bible, go ahead and do that. We're going to come back to that. They saw a fire of coal. Some translations will say charcoal fire. And the fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. That is a good day right there. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Verse 14, this is now the third time. Would you look at your neighbor and say the third time? It's the third time Jesus had showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's take mental note. He's getting ready to talk to Peter. We know what Peter did. Could you imagine the tension that Peter probably felt knowing that he's sitting with the man whom he denied. This is the third time. You ever been in trouble and your parents pull you into the room and they take forever to get to the reason why you're in that room? You're like, just get to it. I know it's coming. The third time. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, 
do you love me? Now this translation says Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. If you're taking notes tonight, I'd like to speak to you from the subject of failure is a first draft, not the final product. Failure is the first draft, but it's not the final product. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, so what are we talking about tonight? I always like to just get it right out of the gate what we're talking about. Specifically, what we're talking about tonight is we're talking about failure, say failure, and we're talking about the past. And usually, the two go together. I heard this said once before, your achievements will only be as significant as what your recoveries have taught you. Sometimes in life, with the failures that we have, when we decide to learn the lessons, we learn so much about God, so much about ourselves, and so much about others if we choose to learn the lessons. Now, let me just make sure I've got some common ground. Show of hands. You're in here tonight. You're watching online. You've made a mistake. Raise your hands. All right, good. All right. Now, a little bit deeper of a question. How many of you guys have made a mistake that has cost you big time and hurt those around you in a really, really big way? Show of hands. Awesome. We've got some good common ground. We've got some some good godly people in this room. If you didn't raise your hand, we're praying for you right now. Even in this moment, you have just failed. Your hand can now go up because you have let me down. I'm just joking. We've all blown it. Man, in the areas of life and the things of life, no matter what stage you kind of find yourself in, you've blown it. So let's establish this. We've got common ground tonight, right? You've got failure, I've got failure, we've got failure. Reminds me of the story of a worker who really had a really massive failure. It goes like this. There was a man who was uh, in, in a work accident, okay? He's in this accident going on. And per company policy, he had to fill out an insurance form. After turning it in, the insurance company contacted him and asked him for a more specific rundown of the accident. So his response is as follows. I'm writing in response to your request for additional information for block number three on the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more carefully and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I am an amateur radio operator and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on on the top section of my new 80-foot tower. When I had completed my work, I had discovered that over a period of time, I had accumulated over 300 pounds of work equipment up top. Rather than carry the now unneeded tools and material down by hand, I decided to lower the items down in a small barrel by using a pulley, which was fortunately attached to the pole at the top of the tower. Securing the rope at ground level, I went to the top of the tower, loaded the tools and the materials into the barrel, and then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of 300 pounds of tools. 
You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh only 155 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and I forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate of speed up the side of the tower. In the vicinity of the 40-foot level, I met the barrel coming down. This explains my fractured skull, my broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley system. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold onto the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of tools hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of tools, the barrel now weighed approximately 20 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the tower in the vicinity of the 40-foot level. I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations of my legs and my lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me down enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of tools and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I laid there on the tools, in pain, unable to stand, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. Look at your neighbor and say, that's got to hurt. That's a tough one. Man, I mean, you, you want to talk about a failure. That's a, that's a failed job. Can we all agree? I know it could be humorous, and it is, but we've all got failures. I bet if we were to go around this place tonight, we could probably have some funny failures, and we could probably have some not-so-funny failures. Matter of fact, because we have this all in common, we could probably go around this room and find out that we actually have a lot more in common than we think we do. If we're really honest, we know that there are things that we have done and things that we have said that we really wished we wouldn't have, amen? And here's the deal, because of those failures, what begins to happen is they tend to create a past that's hard to forget. I've known people that have served Jesus for years, some for decades, that if they were to bring up a certain situation or scenario or failure in their life, they're still moved to utter shame and guilt and sometimes emotions that are uncontrollable. I think whether it's our campus here, those of you watching us online, or maybe any of our Canyon Hill campuses, I think we could all say we've got these, these failures. For some of us, it could be this, this reoccurring sin. This sin that we commit, we ask God to forgive us. Maybe you've been there, you say, God, I'm, I'm just not gonna do that anymore. And, and a week goes by, and maybe two weeks go by. Man, maybe even three weeks go by. And all it takes is one bad day, one lack of sleep, one situation, and the next thing you know, we have done the very thing we said we would not do, have not done for a while, and it becomes a reoccurring sin. In our year of the Bible series, if we go back to the Old Testament, man, that was the children of Israel. Time after time after time, 
time, mistake after mistake after mistake, it just kept reoccurring. Maybe you're here today, and that's the thing that gets you, reoccurring sin. Maybe for some of us, it's with our words. We're not good with them. Like words start to fly out of our mouth, and it's almost like we wish we could catch them but we can't, and we've said words that have wounded people deeply. And even though they may have forgiven us, and even though they may have moved on, we carry that weight and that shame and that guilt of the words that we spoke in anger or frustration, or or maybe even out of just utter desperation of not knowing what to do with a situation. Sometimes it's our our words. For some, it's, it's in our marriage. Maybe we did something in the past that hurt our spouse in a way that, that we couldn't even comprehend today, but because of God's grace, you were able to reconcile. And, and here's what happened. Your spouse has forgiven you. Your children have forgiven you. Your, your family has said, hey, everything's okay. But deep down inside, you still have this utter guilt and shame of something you did so long ago in your past that you just can't seem to let it go. Maybe you're here and maybe, maybe it ended in divorce. And maybe you say things like, man, I, I, maybe I could have tried harder. I, I could have prayed harder. I, I could have got more help. And man, I just didn't. And now I'm dealing with this sin and this shame and this guilt. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you say things to yourself like, well, man, if I just would have been more godly in their presence. Maybe you've just recently started coming to church giving your life to the Lord and you're, you're making things right, but you look back on the past and you, you see that your children are struggling and they don't love God and they don't serve God and, and you take that blame and you, you put it on yourself and the past is stopping you from moving forward because again, you're so ridiculed by the shame and the guilt of your past. Now, whether your situation was explained or maybe you have a different one that could be a, a number of things it begins to sound a lot like David when he said in Psalm 38, four, he says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Have you ever been in the place where guilt and shame has just become way too heavy to carry? I know I've been there. Have you been there? It's tough. See, whether you find yourself in some of the examples mentioned or not, here, here's the truth. Here's something that I, I hope might just kind of kind of spring you up a little bit because I'm here to tell you tonight, if you came here with anything in your past that's been weighing you down and you're still able to come to church, you're still able to lift your hands, you're still able to read your Bible, but you're inside you're just in this utter turmoil, I'm here to tell you tonight, I do believe with all of my heart that God wants to set you free from any guilt, any shame, or anything in your life that is from your past. He wants you leaving this place different than how you walked in. So I don't know who I'm talking to, but you do. And God's got a word to say to you tonight. Here's what I know. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for one year, 10 years, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You've got a past. Every sinner's got a future. I don't know who coined the phrase, but I love it, and I'm gonna quote it so many times that people begin to think it's me, not really, don't care for the accolades, but I love it. Listen, if you still have breath in your lungs, you're not dead, which means God's not done, which means no matter what you've done, story ain't over. Like, and here's the deal. 
You can hear like these nice little things. If, if you're not dead, God's not dead. But until you believe that here, you'll never let go of your past. You've got to get to a place where you realize God is for you. Not only for you, with you. Like there's not one thing you have to do in this world on your own. It's like when people say, man, I, I, I made myself. You didn't make yourself. You're not that good. I'm not that good. If we have anything to brag on when it comes to anything good in our lives, you could be reassured it is God Almighty himself that did it in your life. And it's because he loves you. It's because he's good. You look at the story of Peter in our opening scripture. This is how I know this to be true, that if you're not dead, God's not done. Because you can look at the life and the story of Peter and you can say, wow, God still did something for him. That's what I love about the Bible. When you read the Bible and you read the stories and you travel along with us in this journey, we've been saying this from day one, the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. This story in Peter, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus in this story is just utterly amazing. Because think of Peter for a moment. I mean, how does Peter get himself here to a place where he's sitting at a fire with Jesus after betraying him, after denying him, after walking away from him, and Jesus is having a conversation with them? I mean, let's go back to who Peter was. Peter, to me, was the crazy disciple. Has anybody got like a cousin who's like the crazy cousin? Anybody? Okay, you got the, the crazy uncle, like the Uncle Ricos of the world, you know what I mean? Like... Like, like Peter to me, Peter, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he, he's kind of the guy that just always pops off at the mouth, right? He, he's the guy who would interrupt Thanksgiving dinner, which is coming up soon. He'd be the guy to just pull something off. He'd be the guy to share the secret that you told him not to share. That's Peter. Man, but Peter's like an all-in kind of guy. P Peter's a good guy, man. He had all the greatest intentions, just really horrible follow-through in a lot of ways. He, he's that guy. I mean, think of, think of Peter. He leaves everything behind to follow after Jesus. I'm going after this guy. He, he's given revelation from God himself on who Jesus is. He's the Christ. God revealed that to Peter. And Jesus goes, only God could have told you that. Peter's kind of in that, that inner circle. He sees the ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, time and time and time again. I mean, he's at the transfiguration, y'all. Pretty big deal. Peter's kind of on that in crowd. But what happens is, the closer you get to the cross, things begin to fall apart in Peter's life. It's a funny thing about the cross. Because the closer you get to the cross, the thinner the crowd. It's amazing how many people were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna when Jesus was coming in his triumphal entry. But how thin that crowd got the closer he got to the cross. Even with his disciples, they're starting to go away. Not Peter though. Man, Peter, John 18, or John 13. Man, I'm all in. I ain't gonna, nope, not denying you. Jesus, you can go look it up. I will die for you. And Jesus is like, no you won't. You'll deny me. Peter's like, no, nope, ain't gonna do it. Then you get to John 18. He's attacking a Roman soldier. Now, as much as I love Peter, and as much as I would love to believe he could handle himself, he went to go attack the soldier to kill him, missed his whole head, and cut off his ear. 
probably not the guy you're going to war with. But he's like, no, you're not, you're not taking Jesus. And then, of course, we get to the story in John chapter 18, verses 17, 25, 27. Three times he denies knowing Jesus. One time cusses out a little girl. Man, you're having a bad day when you cuss out a little girl. But it's the account of Luke that gets me every time. When you begin to think about, like, in our lives, shame and guilt over decisions and things that we do. Look at this account in Luke 22, verse 60. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And it's verse 61 that gets me every time. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Ouch. Can you imagine making eye-to-eye contact with Jesus, the Messiah, the one you've been with for three years, the one you said you would never deny, the one you said you would die for, and all of a sudden you do it, a rooster crows, and Jesus turns, and he stares eyeball to eyeball. Imagine the depth of what Peter is feeling. I think sometimes one of the greatest things about the Bible is when you read it, you sit in it for a moment. Sit in this one. Imagine you're the one. You've denied the Christ. What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Imagine the the heaviness that comes from this. Imagine the guilt. I can't believe that I just did that. Imagine the shame. Man, what if the other disciples, what if they saw that? Imagine the regret. Man, I wish I could take that one back, but you can't, Peter. It's too late. It's amazing when you sit in this story. Jesus eventually goes on, as Pastor Steve talked about this past Sunday, and he died on that cross. Man, he dies on the cross. God raises him from the dead, and then this beautiful thing takes place. I really like this part of the message because it shows the process and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has in a way that sometimes gets me. It just gets me every time. It's Mary. She goes to the tomb. The stones rolled away. Jesus is not in there. Notice the words of the angels when you go and read the account. He's not here. And then then the angels say, by the way, go tell the disciples. And this is the part that I love the most when you read it. Go tell the disciples and Peter. How much grace and love Does God have for Peter to call him by name? Jesus has just been raised from the dead. Everybody's got to know. Mary, go tell the disciples. Oh, but Mary, 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 Mary. Hold on, wait, real quick. Make sure Peter knows. Because if there's anybody who needed to know that Jesus was risen, it's Peter. So that begins to happen. So then they go back, they tell Peter. And then when you read the story in John, it's actually quite hilarious. Peter and John run. 
Now remember I said how Peter's kind of the crazy one of the bunch? I think Peter was probably the more athletic one of the bunch. Have you ever noticed that Peter wasn't the first one to make it to the tomb? Why is that? We can only speculate, right? The Bible doesn't say specifically. I've got a thought, just a thought. What if Peter started running to that tomb? Imagine his heart is pacing, it's running, it's going. And he's gotta run to that tomb, but then all of a sudden, boom, thought comes, what are you doing? Why are you running to that tomb, Peter? You denied him. You let him down. Could it just be that Peter slowed down because the weight of his past and his failure got into his mind and into his heart and eventually slowed him down? We don't know for sure, but could it just be? I mean, isn't it how that is in our lives too when our past begins to catch up to us? Life can be going on like pretty good. Things are going really good. And just one thought of our past that someone might find out and know slows us down. We know from our reading that Christ has appeared multiple times. This is the third time in the story that we read. And now Jesus is ready for a conversation. Jesus has prepared a breakfast on a a charcoal fire. I know I've shared this before, but I think it's worth repeating. The charcoal fire was the same type of fire that Peter was standing next to when he denied the Christ. So let me ask you this. Have you ever smelt something that reminded you of something from the past? Taking you somewhere in your mind? I think I was the age of 12 and I came to McFarland for the very first time. My dad lived here and my mom had just got married. And for the first time, growing up as a kid, I got to be in the same household as my dad at the age of 12. And man, when I came out to McFarland, man, it smelled. (laughs) Now don't be laughing too hard, Bakersfield has that same smell too. It's funny, at 12 years old, I go, that's an interesting smell. Now, later on, I learned when I moved to Visalia for a few years that, that when you live here, they, they call that the smell of money. There's cattle, right? Money. So I was like, well, that's interesting. I thought money smelled a whole lot better than that. But I can remember when I moved to Visalia and I stepped out of my car when we moved in the U-Haul, I smelled that smell and it took me back to being a 12-year-old little boy here in McFarland. It's amazing how a smell can take you back. I wonder if that happened to Peter. Could have. So he's sitting down with Jesus. Breakfast is being made. And Jesus asks him three times. Everyone say three. Good, you're still with me. Good stuff. Three. Why is that? Bible tip. Ask questions when you read the Bible. Just pause. Why three? Well, could it just be that Jesus was giving Peter an opportunity to make up 
for each time that he denied the Christ? Maybe, could be. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Remember, he was grieved, annoyed. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then what I love about this story is Jesus, he restores Peter. In essence, gives him his assignment. Peter, it's time to get back in the game. You talk about grace, you talk about mercy. This story, it's fascinating. Now next week, I think you guys are going into Pentecost and then from there we'll go to to Paul and we'll get into all that other stuff. And we know that the story of Peter is amazing. He goes from being the coward that denies the Christ to the bold one preaching the gospel and thousands getting saved. So not only was Peter restored to his calling and his purpose, but he was restored with a boldness that was not shaken. And I think, without a shadow of a doubt, that goes to speak into the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And friends, I'm here to tell you, no matter what your past is, no matter what failures you have, you could be restored not only to what you were, but far much better. Is that good? Amen. As anyone comes, I want to end our time with just two questions. Just two questions. What do we need to know? And then what do we need to do? That's how we're going to end our time today. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When we look at this passage and we look at this story and we see this life of Peter in this moment, what do we need to know? And then today, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we actually have to take some action steps when we leave this place. So what do we need to know? What do we need to do? What you need to know, number one, is this. If we can't let go of the days behind, we can't take a hold of the days ahead. You will never move forward when your mind and your heart and your eyes are always looking backwards. Now, I know this to be true. We live life looking forward. We understand life looking back. I understand that. But we don't live there. We understand there We live for what's ahead. We live for what God wants for us. Look at the words of Philippians chapter three. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Oh, I love this, because I can only handle about one thing at a time. Anybody else know my language right there? Don't give me multiple things. If you do, it's gotta be in list form, but I'm starting with this one, and I'm not going to this one until that one is done. So Paul says, here's the one thing that I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press forward to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we're looking forward. What else do we need to know? We need to know that although we can't change our past, God can change our future. That is good news. Can't change the past, done, over. I mean this respectfully and I say it with some candor, I say it with some care, forget your past. Move forward. God's got something good. Now some of you, this is an easy decision because your past is messed up. I lived in Stockton for a while so I feel I could say stuff like this, you are tore up from the floor up. (laughs) You're like, I don't wanna go back there. Don't, like go forward. 
Oh, why do I say stuff like that? Goodness gracious. <laughs> if someone could come and play behind me, anointing come, something like that, because if not, I'll start making more of those rhymes, and I shouldn't be doing that. Although we can't change our past, God can change our future. I love Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. God's got a future for you. He's got a plan for you. You say, I don't know what it is. Great news, he does. So you got a reason to keep seeking him. You got a reason to keep showing up to church. I always say this about people who come to church on Wednesday. They really love God. Don't tell anybody else who's not here, by the way, that. (laughs) Plans to give you a hope in the future. So that's what I need to know. I need to know that although we can't change our past, God can change our future. I need to know that if I can't let go of the day behind, I can't take a hold of the days ahead. Okay, so now, here's where we're gonna end. What do I need to do? The reason why this question is always important to me in a message is because of what James chapter one says. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Pretty straightforward. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, watch here, not forgetting what they have heard. That's why I like note takers in church. I'm not coming down on you if you're not, but you probably should. I'm just gonna say it. Take notes. I don't care if it's on a piece of paper, on your phone, because I don't want you to forget what you hear. Moving on. Forgetting what they have heard but doing it, watch what it says. They will be blessed in what they do. So we hear the word, we do it. If we do it, what are we? We are, come on, say that, or we are, come on, say it like you need it, we are blessed. If you do what God says, I tell people all the time, you wanna succeed in life? Simple, read the Bible, do what it says. That's simple. I'm, I'm telling you, it really is. All right, so what do we need to do? Number one, simply this. Close the door on your past. Matter of fact, for some of you, close it, lock it, walk away. For some of you, close the door, lock the door, walk on out, burn the house down. Just walk away. It ain't worth it. You got to close the door on your past. You say, okay, but how do I do that? And what do I do when the enemy, because he is going to come after you, right? Like anytime you do something for God, enemy's coming. I got some really bad news for you guys tonight. You're going to walk out of this place and something in this message, not because I said it, but because it's God's word, something that you have heard today is going to be tested and challenged when you walk out of those doors because that's how the enemy works. The seed is sown, immediately the enemy wants to come and he wants to yank that word. He will most likely try to do this with your emotions. Because your past brings up emotions. Listen to me. Emotions make great servants horrible masters. Do not be ruled by your emotions. Let them serve you. If you feel your past is coming up, then let those emotions serve you to draw to your knees in prayer, to remember the words that are spoken. Let them serve you. But what do we do? 
when the enemy tries to attack our mind. It's simple. We accept the truth that God's grace is bigger than our sin. That's all we have to do. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. You don't have to beg. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to be ashamed of yourself. If you confess it, your past is done. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has your sin been removed from you. As much as there is sand on the bottom of the ocean floor, so have your sins been removed from you. I'm here to tell you, God has a memory problem. Say, I don't know if I believe that. He doesn't remember your sin. Memory problem. But you have to confess it. You have to say, okay, I'm done with it. Listen to me. Ultimately, ultimately, Our standing with God is determined by our relationship, not by the rules that we have broken. It's a relationship thing with God. We would do well to give ourselves the same grace and forgiveness that God has already extended to us through Jesus. You gotta let go of your past. Number two is you need to learn from your failures. Just learn from them. I said this earlier, listen, success is for your pleasure, failure is for your learning. God, thank you for the success I've had, but God, I blew it here. What do I need to learn? James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look at verse four. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. I love this next part. And lacking nothing. If I learn the lessons, I lack nothing. Number three, and we close. After you do that, just step into the days ahead. Because listen to me, if you don't let go of your past, if you don't learn from your mistakes, there's no way you can walk into the days ahead because you're still holding on to everything here. Let it go, lock the door, burn the house. Okay, God, what do I need to learn? Do I need to control my temper, watch my words, be more caring, work harder, whatever, learn the lesson. And then simply walk ahead. What do you think Peter did? Peter had a choice, just like you do, just like I do. He had to trust the words of Jesus, let go of his past. I'm pretty sure he figured out the lessons. And what did he do? He moved into the days ahead. And was a bold witness for Jesus, amen? I want you to stand with me tonight as we close. Man, I'm telling you, I've got a hope in my heart that no matter how you walked in, that God's word works every single time. And I have a hope in my heart that something has been said here this evening. Matter of fact, it might not even be by something I said. It might have been during this time of worship that we've met with the Lord. Man, the presence of the Lord, man, it changes things. Man, I'm telling you, in just a moment, we're gonna turn this worship team loose. And in every message, man, I really feel like present the word of God. That's, that's my role. I mean, I hope I don't bomb it when I get up here, but that's not my main focus. My main focus is, God, what's the word that you've given me? Okay, God, I studied, I prepared. Lord, I gave my best. But my prayer in every message is, is God, just speak to your people. Just speak to your people. So I don't know what's been said tonight that's for you, but you do. You know what caught your attention. So we're gonna turn the worship team loose. And as they lead us in worship, You're going to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me tonight? 
What is it you're wanting to do in my life tonight? Notice the words of Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times, and yet he rises again. I love it in the message version. No matter how many times you trip them up, I love this. God loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they're up on their feet. Oh, that sounds good. You need to leave this place here tonight. Come on, up on your feet. Come on, full of hope. Come on, full of joy. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.